0: Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode number 73, and today we're going to talk about how to do a hazard analysis. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Steele. Alrighty. Hello, everybody. It is a beautiful day here. And I say that because I am sitting inside. In terms of weather, maybe not so beautiful, but (laughs) I am doing awesome. I am feeling good. I am doing a ton of work on myself this week. And I have had some really massive and major breakthroughs in my life and in my business and in how I think about things and I cannot wait uh, over the next uh, um well really life of the business I'm gonna say like the next couple of months but you know I work so much on my brain and things come so fast because I spend so much time working on my brain that uh, I'm able to change and grow and evolve in a way that is pretty remarkable. And so uh, here we are at the podcast and we're talking about how to do a hazard analysis today. And I'm going to walk you through how to do a hazard analysis. If you have not listened to the five pre-steps of HACCP, uh, I mean, definitely listen to this podcast, but go back because um, they all build on each other. It's a process. So, So Welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us and let's work on figuring out your processes. So just a couple of announcements at the top of the hour. We are doing amazing and incredible things around here and if you want in, you need to join the power group. Okay, this is my amazing monthly uh, coaching program and you sign up for a year and uh, we have daily homework, you have homework assignments to do to turn into me like this month, everybody's turning in their corrective actions and preventative actions and I'm commenting on them and sending them back (laughs) all right we've been doing that this week and it's been super super fun and we do uh, we have coaching calls once a week I have office hours twice a month um, and it's really pretty incredible and there are some other things coming up in this year um, you know like business retreats and workshops and things like that that you will be the first to hear about and I will be selling to the people in the power group um, before anybody else has access to them and they will sell out. And so um, get like DM me, send me um, an email, let's book a call and let's get you in there. And if you are a veteran and you are listening to this, uh, uh, there is a super special offer for you that I have announced before and that offer is pay me what you think it's worth. Uh, pay me what you think it's worth. I am not kidding about that. Okay. There is no set price for this. If you are a veteran, if you are a gold star family. Okay. If you're a veteran spouse, counts for you too. Okay. So, um, get in touch with us. I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. Go to deargofoodsafety.com and, um, there are like links. There's contact us, fill out a form, book a blueprint call. Like we're here. (laughs) <laughs> okay so we have that next thing I want to announce is is I'm traveling for the next couple of weeks I'm going to be in Manhattan uh, then I'm going to be in Miami and then I'm going to be in Plano Texas uh, uh, for a business workshop with my coach, Brooke Castillo. And so if you are in any of those places and you want to meet up, uh, send me a DM and I would love to meet up with you. I'm really excited. I'm going to go down to Chelsea Market and see Jake Dixon's new space. So if you haven't, um, if you're not already following Jake Dixon on all the social media, you totally shouldn't because he is awesome. And what he is doing with local meets in Manhattan is awesome. And Chelsea Market is awesome awesome and can anybody tell I'm kind of excited to get out of Maine Okay, so that's what we've so that's what we've got um, in terms of like announcements and things like that. I am going to be doing some really interesting interviews. I'm starting to do more interviews on the podcast. I've had a ton of people ask to come on the podcast because they love you guys and they want to connect with you as an audience. So I have people who are your target audience coming on. I have life coaches coming on to talk about the things that they talk about, like anxiety. So next week I'm going to have a podcast. Um, with a fellow life coach, and we're talking about anxiety. And th- I mean, like, I feel like I got coached on the call. And so you can almost hear what a coaching call sounds like. It's pretty incredible. Uh, and then, um, of course, last week, we did branding with David Lenley, And everybody's really loved. We've gotten some really great feedback about that podcast. Super fun. So listen, share, leave reviews, you know, all that good sort of stuff. Okay, so here's what I want to talk about. So, you know, on the podcast, I usually like I try and alternate like one week we're going to talk about mindset and one week we're going to talk about technical topics. And this is a technical topic week. But, you know, I was doing my podcast prep. So I like get my mind all squared away uh, before I come onto the podcast so that I can be of the highest service to you guys. Right. Uh, Because that's how I want to be in the world. (laughs) I want to put my heart out there. I want to be my most authentic self. And I am willing to risk all the rejection in order to be my most authentic self. And my most authentic self is somebody who is out there leading and serving and being an example of what's possible. And I was thinking that you know, when I work with clients about a hazard analysis and, 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 and people come to me with a hazard analysis, like only really like a couple of ways. And the first one is, is they're completely overwhelmed by it. And they say, Dr. P, I can't do this. Will you write it for me? And the answer is, of course, yes, I can totally do it. The other way is I have to take a certification class okay so you know we offer meat and poultry HACCP certification and we offer uh, preventive controls for qualified individual certification and as part of those classes you like literally have to write a hazard analysis and no you can't hand me back one that I wrote for you because that happens don't do that all right and so people are writing their hazard analysis and sending it to us and they feel terrible about it okay and they think something is going wrong. And they think that that the discomfort and the confusion and the unknowing and is, is, is going wrong, okay? It's not. So I wanna walk you through the mindset management that I do before I'm doing something that I know I'm gonna find challenging, okay? And guess what, folks? I find writing hazard analysis challenging as well. It's not like, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years (laughs) and all of a sudden it's easy. It's not. I mean, it's differently hard for me. What you have a problem with, with the hazard analysis and what I have a problem with are probably two different things. Um, But that doesn't make the experience all that different. Okay. So I want to go through the set of questions that I have water and strive and light. And I do like I did this this morning on writing on like, like, putting this podcast out there. Okay. So Water is a, it's an acronym, Water, Strive, and Light are all acronyms, and they're just designed to help us question our minds, all right? Because the questioned mind is the kind mind. And the sooner you guys believe that just because a thought pops into your head doesn't mean you have to do blessed anything about it, the sooner you're going to settle into your own self and who you are in the world. And develop the capacity to understand that you are just right the way you are right now and how you are about in the world creating your food safety plans running your businesses running your lives is happening exactly the way that it should and we know that because it is the way that it is happening do bad things happen in the world absolutely I totally get that but feeling terrible about bad things happening in the world does not change that bad things have happened. Okay, and there are lots of different things that we can think about with that, and I don't really wanna go down that rabbit hole. It is okay for hazard analysis to simply be hard, for you to be afraid that if you do it wrong, everything is going to fail. Okay. Where you tie yourself in knots is when you think that you shouldn't feel that way. And that's never the case. Okay. So let's do some thinking. I'm just, we're just going to think out loud. If you uh, have a pen and paper, you're probably going to want to grab a pen and paper and start writing and thinking like, what are your own thoughts about writing a hazard analysis? Okay. So The, the, the way I always start this is I write, um, I write down the acronym on the left-hand side of the paper, okay? So water, W-A-T-E-R, leave some space down and like write it vertically down the left-hand side of your paper. And the W in water stands for what do you want, okay? And I want you to really dig deep here and figure out what it is that you want, Yes, you want to write a hazard analysis, okay? But my guess is, is that your business isn't going to like succeed or fail on your hazard analysis at this point right now, okay? What you probably really want is for the process to be easy, for the process to go by quickly, for the process um, of writing a hazard analysis um, to be over with, um, right? think about what you really want. All right. Because when you're honest with yourself about what you really want, everything's a hell of a lot easier. It's not pain- less painful. I'm not going to lie. It's not, we're not, the point of this is not to, 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 to manage our minds and beat ourselves into being happy all the time. I am certainly not happy all the time. I do not recommend you decide you want to be happy all the time. Okay. It's okay not to feel happy and write a hazard analysis. So the A in water is how are you acting when you want that? If you want your hazard analysis to be easy, how are you acting when you want that, okay? If you want it to be easy, you're probably getting super frustrated when it's hard. You are probably hopping onto Instagram and looking at pictures of food porn. You may be actually looking at real porn on the internet, drinking, eating, Overworking, like this is like the favorite thing for everybody to do, is to go do other work instead of writing your hazard analysis. Ask me how I know this. Because <laughs> I have people who don't turn in their homework when they have signed up and paid me for a course. It's because they're doing everything else except doing their hazard analysis. And that is always where they hang up, right? So how do you act when you want what you say you want? Then the tea in water stands for turn and face your truth. How are you actually, like what is true in your body about what you are feeling about a hazard analysis? Fear, anxiety, loathing, frustration, resentment. How many of you guys are actually feeling resentment over the whole freaking process of food safety planning? Could we just be honest about that for a minute? Just be honest if you're feeling super resentful. Ugh. That's all you have to do. I promise. And 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 find that resentment in your body and where it lives. You know is it is it like barking in your head is it is it screaming out from your lungs like that's usually where those negative emotions are they're either in our heads or they're kind of in the top of our bodies as I as I say if I'm like feeling something and it's like boobs up it's probably like a reactive negative emotion as opposed to Like, even if it's a negative emotion, a negative emotion that I'm actually processing. Those all happen in the bottom half of my torso, (laughs) okay? So, when you are turning and facing the truth of what you're feeling, uh, all right, you're going to start to build evidence in your mind for that feeling and how you're feeling and what you think. What's that evidence? Are you building evidence that things are going to be easy or hard? Um, and and what like if you had like uh, uh, litigators you do have litigators in your head really and you have the prosecution and you have the defense what are you saying is like what what's the prosecutor and the defense saying about writing a hazard analysis it's just the evidence that you're building they're both providing evidence And then the R in water stands for, what results are you getting? Like when you want what you say that you want and you feel the way that you feel, just what results is that creating in your life? That's all you have to notice because your thoughts always create your results every single solitary time. Your thoughts create your results. And when you understand that um, and you see the results that you have, and the results are, things that are, are like factual around your life. You have a written hazard analysis or you don't have a written hazard analysis. You have the total revenue that you have or you don't. You have a grant of inspection or you don't. You've, you've got, you've passed a third party audit or you haven't. Like those are the results in your life. Look at those results, okay? And then I want you to figure out what it is that's really bothering you about the whole thing, okay? And let's just pick that resentment, all right? You are bothered by the fact that you have to write this damn thing. A lot of people are. You're bothered by the fact that you have to write this damn thing. Then the question is, is do you want to change that? Do you want to change being bothered that you have to write this if not then you know like then don't change it but the question is is do you want to change the results then so if you want to change the result of actually having a hazard analysis when you don't have a hazard analysis let's walk through a strive paradigm and choose to solve this problem you don't have to nobody has a gun to your head saying write a hazard analysis Okay, I know it feels like the government has a gun to your head doing it, but I promise you, they literally don't. The gun, the government literally does not have a gun to your head to do this. They're literally not forcing you to do this. What if you chose to do this work? If you chose to write, you know, the way the, the documentation that you're supposed to write to drive your business forward, like make it a free and willing choice that make that makes all the difference in the world. Okay. So In order to do that, okay, and say, all right, I know I'm uncomfortable, and I want to change my results. I want to write a hazard analysis. Let's do a STRIVE paradigm, okay, like a STRIVE model. And the S in STRIVE stands for safe. And the first question is, are you physically safe to write a hazard analysis, okay? Do you have floors, walls, and ceilings, and a warm place, if you need it, or an air-conditioned place, I suppose? in order to write the hazard analysis for this particular exercise the answer is probably yes all right when we're doing strive paradigms around other things the answer isn't always yes and we solve that first are you financially safe to write a hazard analysis okay do you feel like lots and lots of financial pressure to write this um or do you not because i think for a lot of us it feels like what's called a Hobbesian choice, which is no choice at all. A Hobson's choice is where you have to choose something, um, but you have no other options. You've no, like that's a Hobson's choice. Writing a hazard analysis does really not have to be a Hobson's choice. You have other options, you have the option to not do it. But when you start thinking about your finances and how you wanna grow and scale your business, it doesn't feel like you have any other choice. Okay, and that puts a lot of financial pressure on you to do this, to get it right, to get it done fast, to pass the audit, da, 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 da. And that creates like this huge sense of urgency, um, which is not serving you. It's really not serving you. But if you're honest about what those financial pressures are, then you can at least start looking and like modeling out what those financial pressures are and decide what you're gonna choose and come from a place of sovereignty over your own brain right? So then the E is, is, are you emotionally safe to write a hazard analysis? Do you have somebody breathing down your neck saying you better do this and do it right or you're going to lose your job? That's not emotionally safe for like anything, hazard analysis or anything else, right? That can happen. It's unlikely to be happening in hazard analysis, <laughs> okay? Uh, the T is trained. Are you trained to do a hazard analysis? You may not be, We'll clear that up in this podcast, (laughs) okay? Do you respect the process? You may not. You may not respect yourself in your ability to do it. You may not respect the government in how they're asking you to do it. You may not respect me in how I'm training you to do it. Like, just be honest about it. Like, where do you respect the process? Because if you don't respect the process, the likelihood you're going to finish it, kind of low. Okay, The I in strive stands for invested. Have you invested the time, talent, and treasure in actually writing your hazard analysis? Uh, for most of you that are resisting it, the answer is no on time and talent. Some of you, uh, this, this always boggles my mind, and I just love it so much because it just shows me so much of the brain of where my clients are, is that you buy my certification courses, and then you don't do the homework. And it's hilarious, right? I don't need you guys to do the homework. <laughs> All right, your homework is really optional. It's not optional if you want to get certified. But um, if you're kind of not, if you're still on the fence about whether the certification is really what you want to do, that's probably why you're not doing the homework. And you have, you've invested the money, but you haven't invested the time and talent for actually doing it. Okay. So that's the, that's the I in strive. And then the V in strive kind of reflects that. Do you value the process of doing a hazard analysis? Do you value the thinking skills that you are going to develop when you do a hazard analysis? All right most of you probably don't think about that. And, and I really want you to ask yourself, do you value the hazard analysis process? Because it can mean, it can drive so much incredible thinking in your business, but only if you let it. All right. And so the E in strive stands for um, empowerment. Are you empowered? Are you empowering yourself? Does your boss empower you? to stand in fear and discomfort and failure to write your hazard analysis, all right? Because here's what happens, true story. We write a hazard analysis all the time, okay? And we recently wrote one for somebody who was making meal kits. And we submitted it to the USDA for a grant of inspection. And they sent it back. Now one of two things can happen. We can either argue with the USDA and say, you know, like, get all up in the Code of Federal Regulations and say, this proves our point, and da, da 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 Or, we can look at what the USDA has to say. Recognize the power dynamic and decide which hill we're going to die on. Okay? In my whole professional career, I can count on, like, one hand the times I have chosen to die on a hill on a hazard analysis. Okay. And most of the time it's not with the government. Actually, most of the time it's with my recall clients and they've had a recall because of salmonella or listeria or allergens and they don't want to change their hazard analysis. And I'm like, "Um, you had a recall. Your hazard is reasonably likely to occur." <laughs> like I'm willing to die on that hill my friends because it literally actually happened that is a result of your business (laughs) okay cross contamination metal contamination is a result of your business okay and I'm willing to risk everything for that because it is it's like it's a fact (laughs) right so your, my question is, 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 what sort of failure and rejection are you willing to risk? What sort of discomfort are you willing to risk to produce the results of having a hazard analysis that brings your business forward, okay? It's just a set of questions to, to inquire around your mind about what you are doing or what you aren't doing, okay? And so then we move on to, when we know all of the answers to that, we've written it all down, we move on to the light model, Okay. And the light model is really pretty fascinating. So the L in light stands for look. Um, When you look around, okay, and you've done your STRIVE model, and maybe you've come to the choice where, yeah, okay, I see where I'm stopping myself. I want you to look around and say, all right, how have things changed? What can I observe about myself, about how I feel, and things like that? And what can I observe about the results that I am creating in my life? Just look around. As we're fond of saying around here, you miss more by not looking than by not knowing. Look around and just see, okay? Then the eye and light, it's another question around integrity. What is your integrity telling you? This is a lot like evidence. What evidence are you building? What is your integrity telling you? Are you feeling like resistance to your emotions? Is that where you are? What is your integrity telling you? Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Your integrity can be wrong. My integrity at 8 o'clock at night when I'm journaling tells me I'm a worthless human being. All right? And I really feel that. That is, like, totally real for me. And at 8 o'clock in the morning, not so much. Okay, so your 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 brain is like just wants things to be easy it wants to consume as little glucose as possible and it just wants things to be easy and a lot of times your brain is doing the easy thing and it feels really really true and it is really not because the truth of the matter is I'm not worthless you're not worthless we are all 100% worthy as we are sitting here nothing needs to change we don't need to improve we don't need to write an award-winning hazard analysis for us to be worthwhile okay So just notice what your brain is saying to you. That's all I'm saying when we say look at our integrity. And then I want you to ask the G question. And the G question is, is is it gentle? Are you being gentle to yourself? Are you being gentle to other people? Okay. Because the path to accepting who you are right now is through a path of kindness and gentleness. All right. And when you're beating the crap out of yourself to improve yourself, it never works. Ask anybody who's been on a diet, okay? We are getting on to March. How's that New Year's resolution coming? Are you beating the crap out of yourself about it? Maybe if we were in gentle, loving kindness to ourselves about what we want in the world, we could maybe make some different, uh, make some different decisions, have some different actions, like just accept ourselves where we are, right? Mm -hmm. Then the next question is, is, is it helpful? Are the thoughts that you are thinking helpful? Is the, is the work that you're about to do helpful? Things can be helpful and not gentle. The, the um, uh, example I am fond of using, me yanking my kid out from in front of an oncoming car, not gentle, super helpful, <laughs> okay? So they're not in opposition to each other. In the long run, we wanna do things that are helpful, okay? Because the T drive Strive stands for trust, are you building trust? Are you building the idea that you have your own back in the work that you're doing? Are you building trust amongst your team? Are you building trust amongst the stakeholders in the process? And if the answer is no, let's go back and, like, figure out how we're going to build trust. Because unless the activity builds trust, uh, you're not going to sustain it in the long run. And a hazard analysis is something that you have to sustain. This is a living document that you got to sustain. Okay, you're not going to put this up on the on the shelf and take it down. You are not right. Like I am fond of saying you are not writing gospel truth in your hazard analysis. The process of writing is rewriting. All right. Uh, and and you can't beat yourself up and say this has to be perfect or I'm never going to do it. Okay, so That's the mindset. Like, those are the questions I want you to ask yourself before you do anything, (laughs) okay? Like, I I ask myself these questions every single morning and most nights, all right? And so with all of that in there, what I want to do is is I want to now actually tackle the T part of Strive, which is the training for writing an actual hazard analysis. Like, what the heck does that look like, all right? And how do we do it? All right, so I am going to, after this podcast, I'm going to upload a file. It's going to be a Microsoft Word document um, that we call the Hazard Analysis Grid um, template. Um, You can use it with a pen and paper. Um, You can use it digitally. Take it, use it. Like, doesn't do me any good when it's a blank piece of paper sitting in my hard drive, right? Um, so I'm going to upload that as a file in the proofing box and you can just come and you can download that and you can bring your hazard analysis to office hours. So I'm going to hold office hours after this podcast. I hold them most Thursdays. So feel free, um, to bring your hazard analysis questions, um, in the coming weeks or or whenever really to, um, office hours after the podcast. All right. So download that piece of paper. Okay. And use it. (laughs) So I want to point out a couple of things on the piece of on the piece of paper. All right, up in the header, all all like regulated documents need to have an address associated with them. Um, I have my PO box on there. Normally, I would have my um, might you you are going to put your actual business address where the hazard analysis is being executed okay because food safety plans are facility dependent so if you are say running a restaurant and you are writing a hazard analysis because you're doing a HACCP plan for your restaurants you need to literally have different documents at each restaurant with the address of the restaurant okay same if you have run multiple processing plants So that's the first thing, okay? I, in the header, it says HACCP plan, but you're gonna write like what the actual HACCP plan is. Is it a sous vide HACCP plan? Is it a charcuterie HACCP plan? Is it a, you know, ham smoking HACCP plan? Whatever it is, all right? And then the next thing is, is you gotta go pull out your process flow diagram. Okay, now, process flow diagramming is step four of the five pre-steps of HACCP. If you have not written your process flow diagram, stop now, pause the podcast, go listen to step four of the five pre-steps of food safety planning so that you can write a process flow diagram, because you can't do a hazard analysis without a process flow diagram. And as a note for my fisheries folks, I know it's not regulatorily required to have a process flow diagram, or even to have a documented hazard analysis. I have no idea how you write a critical control point without actually having that done. Now you can just follow it in the hazard control guide for fisheries. It's a really lousy idea. And if you ever wanna pass an audit um, and grow and scale your business, don't do it just the way the FDA fisheries people tell you to do it. That's fine for people who are never gonna grow and scale, but. Follow the Codex HACCP. That's what I'm teaching you. I'm teaching Codex HACCP. And the word HACCP, for those of you who don't know, in fisheries literally means something different than what I'm teaching you right now. If you have questions about that, just bring it to office hours because it's confusing. All right. So. Now that you have your, like, let's pretend you have your process flow diagram. You've got to take your process flow diagram and you've got to put it in front of you. All right. I want you to number your steps. It does not matter what number they go in. Okay. Because what you're going to do is, is you're going to, at the top of your hazard analysis grid, you're going to write out the process flow step. Okay. Step one receive dry ingredients. Most of y'all are receiving dry ingredients, so I'm gonna use that as my example, okay? Receive dry ingredients. You're gonna write that after process flow step, and then you're gonna write the step number. Your auditor likes step numbers, okay? And the reason is is because I can then go to your process flow diagram, all right, And see all the step numbers and then I can go to your hazard analysis pages and flip through them and find out if you have done a hazard analysis on every single step okay that's a requirement of a codex HACCP plan you have to have a hazard analysis on every single step as it shows up in your process flow diagram okay so there's that next all right I want to Um, point out that if you are writing a preventive controls plan, so this is a sidebar for my non-fisheries FDA inspected plants, not only must you do a hazard analysis on the steps in your process flow diagram, you have to do a hazard analysis on every ingredient. All right. Can you combine them? Yes. Do I recommend it? No, don't do it. Your hazard analysis for your ingredients, I highly recommend you just put in an Excel document and you refer to it in like, and it's part of your process flow diagram, but it's just a lot easier to put it in an Excel document because what you're going to find is, is that the preventive controls all sum up to the same preventive control, okay? So I'm not going to really be talking about too many hazard analysis, like, like specific ingredient hazard analysis, but it'll probably come up as we, as we go through the hazard analysis for received dry ingredients. All right, because it's a receiving ingredient step. All right, so your hazard analysis page has um, we we do this in even though it's a grid, okay, and it has columns and it has rows. We do them. I do. I teach these in column format. A lot of people want to go by row, but that's not actually the Codex process. We do a hazard analysis first, okay. And then we decide. Then we figure out what the critical control points are, and I'm going to talk about that in another uh, in another episode. All right, but you got it. You got to do your hazard analysis before you decide whether or not something needs a critical control point. All right, and I will talk about that. All right. So the first row in your hazard analysis document is, what are the potential hazards that are introduced, controlled. Or enhanced at this step okay and it's very important that you read that and you put the hazards that are there all right now there are three kinds of hazards in a hazard that we that we worry about in a in a HACCP plan physical hazards those are things that you can choke on or you can or you can break your teeth or can cut your mouth or is foreign material that is uh, bigger than seven millimeters All right. That's in the food that's not supposed to be. May not hurt anybody. You know, blue pieces of blue plastic in like it seems like every single meat ingredient these days. Um, Pieces of blue plastic isn't really going to hurt somebody, but it's foreign material and it doesn't belong in your food and it is considered a physical hazard. All right. So. Physical hazards associated with dry ingredients, I actually got this yesterday, somebody got a metal fragment in a uh, spice blend that came in, all right, so that's a physical hazard, a a metal fragment that's larger than seven millimeters is considered a physical hazard, Uh, wood splinters, physical hazard, cardboard splinters, physical hazard, you know, plastic, as I've said, physical hazard, wires. um, And just in receiving dry ingredients, um, that's probably the most of them. Okay. There are other physical hazards associated with other things. Lots of physical hazards associated with um, slaughter and receiving live animals. But if you have questions about that, come to office hours. I'm not going to cover that in this podcast. All right. So that's physical hazards. Next one is chemical hazards. Chemical hazards, okay, are the hazards that are either an intrinsic property of the food. They are a protein in the food. They are a carbohydrate in the food. Um, I don't think that there are any fats that are a chemical hazard. Um, So they're an intrinsic property of the food or they have been added to the food and they are literally a chemical out there in the universe and they've been added to the food and they can harm people. All right. So chemical hazards, um, the biggest chemical hazard, and actually the reason for the most recalls is allergens. All right. In the United States, we have the big eight allergens. They are chemical hazards. These are there and they are, um, there, we group them by food, but it's actually proteins in the food that cause a allergic reaction in people who eat them who are allergic to them. All right, and for those of you unfamiliar, chemical hazards are wheat and soy, dairy and eggs, tree nuts and peanuts, shellfish and scale fish. Okay, fin fish. Those are the eight. If you are selling in Canada, in Europe, in other places, they have different allergens, sesame seeds, mustard seeds. Look that stuff up so you know you're in compliance with the regulations of the country that you are trying to sell into. That's of surpassing importance because just because we have the big eight, other people have the big 10 or the big 12. All right. So you got to go look that stuff up. All right. All right. The other chemical hazards are the chemicals that are associated with food production. Cleaners, sanitizers, lubricants, those sorts of things that we put um, and we may inadvertently introduce. Other chemical hazards include um, the products of molds. We call these toxins, all right? And those are a chemical hazard that can be introduced into the food aflatoxin, okratoxin, those are all, there are bunches of toxins out there. I actually just did a paper on um, toxins, like molds and cannabis, and oh my god, Ugh. the toxins associated with the molds and cannabis, not good, my friends. So those are toxins. Hmm. Those are by and large all the chemical hazards. You got to pay attention to these because this is probably what trips the most people up because it's the most complex. It doesn't have to be confusing, but I promise you it's complex and you're going to have to do some research. Google is your friend, office hours is your friend. Okay? Then microbiological or biological hazards. This is the one everybody thinks about, okay? And they and and you think that, you know, like your biological hazards are introduced controlled or enhanced at every step in your process. I promise you they're not. Uh, okay and you got to be really careful of copy and paste errors in your biological hazards. Okay. All right. And so what are our biological hazards? So they're the microbial things that are going to go wrong with your food. They are the bacteria. All right. Salmonella, shigatoxin E. coli, listeria. They are the viruses, uh, norovirus. If you're in a restaurant, you really got to think about norovirus, right? Um, They are, and then we have prions, Um, all right? So prions, uh, the only one we worry about, and this is for all my beef processors out there, is mad cow or bovine spongiform encephalopathy. If you are processing beef and you are receiving beef, um, prion disease, like BSE, must go in your receiving step, all right? Not going to worry about that for this hazard analysis because we are receiving dry ingredients, (laughs) all right? Um, so the microbe I worry about the most with dry ingredients is salmonella and salmonella, um, is more resistant to destruction the drier the ingredient is. So, right. Um, and that's just because of the intrinsic properties of salmonella. Um, and I think that is, uh, that's, and, and then we do have yeasts and molds with salmonella, it's, or with, with dry ingredients, they are unlikely to be causing a problem. So I don't want you to worry about that too much. Over in chemical hazards, I don't know that I said this, in chemical hazards, the, I mean, spend all of your time worrying about allergens in chemical hazards. It's pretty hard to have a chemical contamination of a dry ingredient because it gets wet and you won't use it. Allergens, on the other hand, happen all the time okay all right so now you know when you lay out your physical your chemical and your microbial hazards you know what it is that you have to worry about that that you know that those items those like those hazards are introduced controlled or enhanced at the step in the process flow diagram that you're talking about okay Next, I want you to answer the question, all right? What is your decision-making for this hazard? Why do you think that this hazard is um, something you have to think about, okay? And so is it... um, Is it something, and and what I'm really asking here, is it something that you have to worry about? You gotta justify your decision, okay? And so I'm gonna walk through those hazards, all right? Because many of you tie yourself in knots right here and you make many more things hazards than are really not hazards. And this is where we talk about reasonably likely to occur versus not reasonably likely to occur, all right? And I really mean reasonable and whatever you think about the government, the government really always agrees with me about reasonable. Okay. So just pay attention. So for physical hazards, the question is if you identified, so we're doing dry ingredients. If you identified wood shards from pellets and metal shards from, um, uh, metal shards in the spices, um, is this reasonably likely to occur here? Okay. Are you, have you ever gotten metal shards, wood shards or whatever? Um, in in this ingredient or in at this step Um, and the answer is probably no and what we say is these hazards are not reasonably likely to occur nrlto because we have a supplier approval program or an approved supplier program or whatever all right um and you and that's a good manufacturing practice. I have like lots of stuff out there about supplier approval programs. And they re- if you're doing them right, you're really not receiving ingredients with metal shards in them. I mean, has it ever happened? Has it like, like just ask yourself has this really actually ever happened? Does it happen in the industry? Absolutely. That's why we have to worry about it. Has it ever happened here? Probably not, because you have a supply, um, you have a supplier improvement program, improvement, is that a word? A supplier approving program. That means you get your, your ingredients from people who are doing things correctly and not introducing hazards into their food, <laughs> right? So don't tie yourself in knots here. It's probably not reasonably likely to occur. Don't even worry about it, all right? Chemical hazards. Um, here's where things start to get a little more complex if you are in a usda facility and you are receiving an ingredient a a dry ingredients and you're receiving something that has more than two ingredients in a blend the usda has decided for you that allergens uh, are something you have to worry about okay and you have to do an allergen control plan but they then consider that a prerequisite program and not a critical control point okay so Allergens are not reasonably likely to occur because you have an allergen control plan. This is a lot like in a preventive controls plan and an FDA preventive controls plan, a supply chain preventive control, where you're identifying all your allergens. Or actually, I guess this would be an allergen control plan. All right, it's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But the question is: Is has your um, regulatory authority? determined whether or not this hazard is reasonably likely to occur um, or told you how to make it not reasonably likely to occur. If you are receiving allergens, any of those big eight, your hazard is reasonably likely to occur at this point, all right? and aller- If you are getting in dried milk powder, that's an allergen. And you have a chemical hazard, that's reasonably likely to occur. And that's all you have to write. Milk is a known allergen. Ta-da, and your your decision-making is done. Microbiological. Is this um, something that has happened in the product that you are bringing in? Dried milk powder is a known source of shigatoxin E. coli and salmonella. It is, okay? You should hear how they actually make dried milk powder, and you'd never use it again. All right. Now the question is, is it reasonably likely to occur? Um, And you can answer this kind of any way that you want. Has it happened in your facility before? Has it happened with your supplier before? Do you test it and you have an incoming monitoring like program to make the hazard not reasonably likely to occur? If you are buying, and let's just take milk powder here, if you are buying pasteurized milk powder and you have never had a problem with it, your hazard is not reasonably likely to occur because it's never happened in your facility. The end. Just because it happens doesn't mean it's reasonably likely to occur with your particular product in your particular facility. Okay, do not make this more complicated than it needs to be. Those are the steps of a hazard analysis. What's the hazard? Is it reasonably likely to occur here? Why or why not? That's it, friends. That is how to write a hazard analysis. Now, when you look at that grid, there is definitely more stuff on that grid. You are not done, but you are done with the hazard analysis portion of our programming, okay? And when we get to the other Codex hazard steps in um, future podcasts, we're going to pull this back out, and we are going to go through and decide whether or not these ha- um, hazards need to be addressed here, and then that's what starts us down critical control points and things like that. Preview, if it's not reasonably likely to occur, you don't have to worry about it because you're addressing the hazard and you're making it not reasonably likely to occur by virtue of your prerequisite programs, okay? It's not likely to occur. If it's not likely to occur, you don't have to control it. If you don't have to control it, there's no preventive control, there's no CCP, there's less paperwork, okay? But I want you to be really careful in your language on your justification. Please do not write your physical hazards are controlled by your GMPs. GMPs do not, I repeat, do not control hazards. They make hazards not reasonably likely to occur and then therefore you don't have to control them. Alrighty, so just let this stuff be complex. Don't worry about it, it's gonna be hard turn and face your feelings and your fear, be like, understand you might do this wrong. It's totally okay. I am here for you. I have your back. Let me help you, my friends in writing your hazard analysis. All right. So that's what we got for the podcast. Have a week full of awesome couple of interviews coming up on the next podcast. Get in touch with me. If you want some help doing this, come work on this in the power group with us. It will literally change everything. I love you all. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you all under the guidance of a food safety expert.